You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, the host of the Seeky Excellence podcast. And today I am unbelievably blessed to have my dear friend, Sarah Doherty, with me. Sarah, how are you? I'm doing great, Nate. Happy to be here. That's great. Yeah, we've wanted to record together for a really long time. Um, you know, you've got you've got great stories that you're going to share with us today. So I'm very excited to, to get your perspective on a lot of different things. And uh, from your journey to the church and some of the other things we'll discuss today, um, but yeah, it's just so good to be with you. Obviously, you know, the, the, uh, Fred podcasts are always funny too, because you like a lot of certain amount of time, but it's like, you know, you're going to spend a good half an hour catching up as we just did, which is, which is always a good time as well. So Sarah, obviously for my little introduction of you, you're my best friend's wife, you know, uh, one of my best friends in the world now as well. Uh, but yeah, Bob Doherty, he's been on the podcast twice before. Um, we've talked about friendships actually in the past and then some other um, leadership focused things. Uh, but Bob's great. You're great. And, uh, I'm just so happy to be able to talk with you today. Uh, the feeling is mutual, my friend. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'd love to just kind of start with you. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from and just some of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, Hey everybody, I'm Sarah. Like Nathan said, um, I live just outside of New York city with my husband, Bob. We've been married for going on three years. Um, before I met Bob, um, I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, I went to Princeton university where I met Bob, um, and where I studied history. And, you know, I think during that period of time, when I was in this institution that really doesn't, uh, prioritize faith, um, you know, just like all the educational institutions that I grew up in and spent time in, uh, frankly, people who have faith are typically thought of as like naive, uh, and ignorant. Um, and so it was something that I, um, was not really proud of, um, and something that I kind of like put on the back burner. Um, there was even a period in my life, even though I was raised Christian, not Catholic, but I was raised, um, by really loving Christian parents, um, and, you know, uh, Presbyterian church, um, was a really big part of my life growing up. Uh, you know, there was a, there was a time in college where I kind of put that aside and thought, you know, like I'm, I'm too smart <laughs> to, to believe, yeah. which is like super prideful. Um, but like, that's what people super were telling common, me. Though. Yeah. 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 Um, but luckily like through God's grace, you know, he continued pursuing me even when I was not pursuing him. Um, and so I would say for the majority of my life, I had a really strong, um, 
Christian faith in particular, really focusing on a pretty common, like evangelical concept of like your relationship with Jesus. And you know, that, Mm -hmm. that was always what was sort of like central to what my faith looked like growing up was, um, there was a lot of focus on like getting in Bible study, like literally like highlighting your Bible every single day. Um, a lot of focus on like your emotional feeling when you were like in a worship session and like your relationship with Jesus. Um, and I really never considered Catholicism, honestly, um, because a few reasons, you know, I, I grew up in New Jersey where um, there's actually a really large Catholic population, a lot of Irish families, a lot of Italian families. Um, but frankly, like the, the Catholics that I grew up with were entirely cultural Catholics. Uh, you know, they had like their CCD classes growing up. They, you know, they made their sacraments, but um, it had no impact on any other part of their life other than just like a, an identity like box that they checked um, and something that they kind of like went through the motions of. So in my mind, I thought that that's what Catholicism was, was just a bunch of people who kind of checked boxes and didn't have that relationship with Jesus that I had been raised to like believe was so paramount, you know? Yeah. Um, and then in college, um, I met, uh, I met my now husband, Bob, um, who was not actually, uh, Catholic at the time, but you know, you can tune into his story on another podcast that he's recorded, yeah. um, with Nathan, um, but, uh, after Bob converted, he came back to Princeton for homecoming and we ran into each other again. And I could tell that something was really different about him. And Bob at the time was just a few weeks out from deploying to Iraq. Um, and he told me that, and even though faith was really important to me, I almost never told people, uh, that I was going to pray for them unless I like kind of knew where they stood because I had a few people in my life who, if I told them that I was going to pray for them, they would probably not take that as like a very kind thing to say. Um, right. You know? It's offensive. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they wouldn't want to hear that, but I felt like a nudge saying, you know, tell this boy, you're going to pray for him. And I did. <laughs> and then he said, Oh, like, that's the other thing that's new in my life. Like I'm Catholic. Um, and you know, that, that really got my attention, you know, like here's yeah. this guy who is like gorgeous. And we're like having a really fun time talking. And now like he, <laughs> now I know what's different about him, right? Like yeah. he's got to experience this faith. Um, and then we started spending more time together and I could really feel like, okay, this is something that I've been looking for, for a long time. This man has so many incredible qualities and more than just getting to know him. I also started to get to know some of his friends, including Nathan, um, and another friend of ours. Um, and, uh, looking at these three people, Bob, Nathan, and Marie and learning about like what their Catholic faith meant to them just really through me, because here were three people who embodied these qualities of like a passion for God and, um, a drive to grow in deeper relationship with Jesus that I frankly just like never thought possible for Catholics. Um, and it really, it made me want to like dig deeper into that. And I would say after spending time like with Bob and like with Nathan and um, learning more about like Catholicism from Catholics and not just like secondhand recounts from other like non-Catholics about what they thought Catholicism was like, I decided that it was time for me to give it a shot. Um, and I entered RCIA my senior year of college, um, and converted right before, right before graduating. That's right. Yeah. Graduated a Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, it was nice. A lot of, a lot of milestones, um, all at once, but, um, uh, I'll be honest and say it was, I don't say begrudged, but I was definitely not all in right away. Like there were, there are a lot of things that over time and over the last now four years that I've been Catholic, um, 
there's just been this pattern of me seeing, okay, God calling me to take another step like deeper, like towards the church, um, and him, uh, leading me there, me, maybe not wanting to take that step, um, but taking it anyway. And then him like just totally showing me how like his ways are better than our ways and like blessing me in like really unexpected ways. Uh, but what I mean by that is like, I honestly think it's, it's no secret that I probably would not have considered Catholicism if there wasn't a cute boy that I was trying to like spend more yeah. time with, which like, I don't think is a great reason for anybody, um, to like, convert. <laughs> you know, like I definitely, if you're, if you're it's important uh, to highlight, I think it's important to highlight, uh, you know, growing up, we used to call it like evangelating or yeah. like to convert. It's I, I, it's definitely messy. It worked out great, great for me, but, um, you know, I kind of took that step. And part of the reason I took that first step was I just became convinced that the Catholic church was God's plan a, um, for his church on earth after he, um, after Jesus like returned to heaven, that like he gave us the Catholic church to help us, you know, live the most godly lives possible until, um, until the end of times, right. When, when Jesus comes back and makes everything right again. Um, but, you know, I was like, okay, this plan a is not perfect. Like there are like a yeah. lot of flaws, um, in this plan a, but it still was the plan. And so like, I'm going to commit to that. Um, and you know, when Bob and I got married, like we did not do a full mass at our wedding. Like we were married in the church and by a deacon, but, um, I was afraid to do a full mass because none of our parents are Catholic. Most of our guests were not going to be Catholic. I was feeling really sheepish about that. Um, when the deacon suggested singing Ave Maria during our ceremony, I was like, oh, I'm Catholic, but like, I'm not into Mary. Like I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll subscribe to some of the other parts, but like right. Mary was a cool girl, but like, I, we don't need to like make that a focal point. Um, and you know, spoiler alert, uh, now Mary is like one of like the most important people in my life. And like, you know, it's just, it's kind of cool to see how like over the years, like God has, draw me closer, um, and like more in conformity, like with, uh, the, the ways of life that like the church lays out is just the best way to thrive. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. I love, you know, going back to what you said, there's two things I wrote down was, uh, the kind of, you know, balance between intelligence and faith, because it's, it's so interesting to me that what this isn't, this isn't exactly true. This is definitely like stereotypical or stereotyping and kind of, um, generalizing, but it's, it almost seems like sometimes, it's literally like the most, the most intelligent and like the, the least profound or yeah. like often who you'll find like most <laughs> engaged in the Catholic faith, right? Like you have like these like Thomas Aquinas's, right. And like the, a lot of the people that we read and listen to, you think of like a Dr. Scott Hahn or Dr. Tim Gray, right. Like a, um, Ed Shree, Dr. Ed Shree, um, like, like geniuses. Right. And then you have like very, and obviously there's a lot of people in between. I think I'm in between a genius and an idiot, right? Like I'm not, I'm not very intelligent myself, but I think when you have, you have so many other people around the world who live in like it's extreme poverty, like weren't educated at all, who are just like devout Catholics, you know? Um, and you can think of there's saints in both of those categories as well. It's really interesting how both can be so drawn to Catholicism. And I yeah. think a lot of people who reject it are kind of in that middle ground where they are smart enough to like think of some objections, but not either either willfully ignorant and don't want to look deeper to the answers to those objections or like aren't smart enough to really grasp some of the deeper things that are the answers to those objections. Does that make yeah. sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And I, I think it's meaningful that at the time, like when I was kind of grappling with that, um, I wasn't Catholic and I wasn't even really thinking about like all the, the great Catholic thinkers. Um, yeah. And I think like, it's really incredible that 
it's almost an anachronism to say great Catholic thinkers because for thousands of years, the great thinkers of our Western society were Catholic, you know, um, it it was not such a thing to say, just like, Oh, they happen to be a great Catholic thinker. Like they just were a great thinker, you know, when like people put out like some of the, like the foremost thought pieces. Right. Um, but I mean, Catholicism is such a like rigorously, uh, cerebral faith, you know, um, which I think can be really hard too. Right. Because as you're saying, um, for some people, if they're not willing to hold in duality, that this is both an extremely intellectual and cerebral faith. And that like the Catholic church in particular gives you a ton of stuff that you can like really bite into there, but also there are mysteries and like, there are things that we have to surrender that we won't be able to solve. Um, and I think that can yeah. be really hard for people who like to have very neat answers and explanations for everything. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that leads into so much of the, uh, you know, what you kind of described was part of your journey too, of like the Jesus versus religion. You know, you probably remember when that was like a super popular video. I know I was, I think a junior in college when that video I'm, came out. I'm pretty sure I shared it and I was like, yes, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is me. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm curious more of your journey along with that, like how you kind of transitioned more specifically, if there was any like big questions that you had answered, or I know, I know, obviously you talked about like our examples and like the, the people that you met that were Catholic that um, kind of piqued your interest, but what really did help you, I guess, to kind of make that shift? Cause it is such a big one when you are, you know, I I've, I've attended a lot of Protestant services, especially evangelical things, listened to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of books. Um, and so I, I understand like how deep that like commitment yeah. to Jesus, <laughs> a relationship with Jesus and like no structure, no religion, and almost this, this, or not almost, but for a lot of evangelicals, like a disdain for religion or like any structure or organizational structure and things like that. So yeah, what was kind of, do you have any like insight to like what that, how that shift kind of started to happen? Totally. Um, one thing I was thinking about is that there, God is um, so vast, right? Um, and yeah. there are so many, he has so many characteristics, right? Like he, um, man and God, um, like servant and leader, uh, servant and King, maybe is like a better, like kind of like contrast to think about, but, um, his, his character has so many facets. And I think that the evangelical, which I'm using kind of loosely to describe any like non-denominational, like Christian, uh, you know, that may not be like, yeah. theological, like the correct, but like, that's how I think about it. It's so, like evangelicals, I think really nail focusing on, um, God and Jesus and the Holy spirit as, um, a friend and like a confidant, you know, someone who like weeps at the grave of their friend, someone who cares about like the little, the little bits and pieces of your day. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that Catholics are um, generally speaking, really excellent at emphasizing God as King um, and God as this um, vast cosmic figure that is worthy of uh, regal praise and devotion, you know? Um, yeah. But I think, I, I think I was sitting in mass one time and like, I definitely remember my first time in mass was super intimidating. Uh-huh. Um, I had to keep kind of like, I mean, I grew up in church, so I, I was used to feeling really comfortable in what I thought of as like my father's house, you know, and like wearing yeah. like athletic clothes and like chit-chatting in the pews and that I, coffee. Yeah. With my coffee, like absolutely. <laughs> um, which yeah. Uh, clutching my coffee. Um, but like, it, it wasn't meant to be disrespectful. It was like when you walk into your mom's house and you like kick off your shoes and sit on the couch because you're at home there, you know? Right. Yeah. And I walk into my first like Catholic mass and I just felt like a fish out of water. And I had to just kind of like, I kept repeating to myself, 
um, you know, like this is the same God, like this is like the God that you've like known and loved like your whole life. Like this is different. Um, but kind of aside from that, um, just, I, I think one thing that really started to click for me was what I had been missing, um, in my relationship with God was I had made him too much of a friend and not enough of like God. Right. And like a God who deserves absolute kingly worship. And I, I do still think to this day that there's a lot that Catholics can learn from non-Catholics about that, of what it looks like to really cultivate that kind of, um, intimate relationship with them. I mean, if you think about the fact that like the friendships in our lives and, romantic relationships, marriage in our life, um, is meant to mirror our relationship with God. Like God wants to call us into that kind of intimacy, but we're also not supposed to forget like who he is, right. Someone who like laid the foundations of the earth. And I think that that's something that, um, as an evangelical, I looked at what Catholics were doing in Catholic worship. And I thought, um, I just recognized something I'd been missing for many years. Yeah. That's so cool because yeah, I think, I think it is so interesting. I love that kind of juxtaposition of a friend and uh king, you know, and obviously like Jesus is both and he was both to the apostles, you know, and you can see that like very clearly in the gospels. Um, uh, and you can see, it, I think very well, like in the chosen as well. I think they do a good job of kind of displaying both of those things, mm-hmm. you know, where like Jesus is very clearly in charge. Like, yeah. the, like the apostles occasionally will kind of get out of hand, but usually like, they're like, no, like he's, he's running things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they know that. I haven't seen it yet, but I, I can, I oh, can imagine okay. it. I need to, I need to put that on my list for sure. Yeah. It's really <laughs> We're good. We're watching the young Pope right now. So after that, I'll switch to the there chosen. You go. Yeah, yeah. It's on, uh, it's on Apple TV now too. Uh, the chosen is, so you can kind of see it through there, but cool. it, it was, uh, yeah, I think they do a great job of that, but I, I think it's so interesting that, um, you know, when I think about a lot of my conversations too, when you have conversations with evangelicals, uh, and, and I think that I, I sometimes can be harsh on Protestants in that. Um, and I think, I think this is reality. I don't think that I just kind of like have a thing against Protestants, but I've been digging so much, especially in 2022 of thinking a lot about like liberalism and kind of like the founding American philosophy. And especially because a lot of trads, like we'll talk about like the sin that is liberalism, that liberalism is a sin and just like a faulty and like anti-Catholic way of thinking, namely in that liberalism is essentially making the individual the prime judge versus God being the prime judge. And so that's why like I'm reading a book on it and it basically says it's the exact opposite, the antithesis of Catholicism because either God's fully in charge or the individual's fully in charge. And liberalism can sometimes promote the individual to being fully in charge, which is obviously dangerous. Um, but I think that so much of that thinking is, you know, comes from like the Protestant Reformation of kind of taking the authority away from the church, putting it solely into scripture and assuming that each individual will be able to like correctly um, interpret scripture for themselves, essentially. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to bring it home with just saying that, you know, I think, um, it's so interesting to me that there's this, a lot of times there's like this judgmentalism that comes, I think when you're talking to an evangelical of like, when you bring up any argument or anything about like, you know, criticizing the way that they do things versus the way that we do things, there's always like this, like, why are you judging me? Or you're so judgmental. And there is this kind of like assumption that, not only you like fellow Christians, but also the church and God himself is just a friend. Like, like you and I are friends where it's like, if you choose to send your kids to public school and I, I choose to homeschool my kids, like I shouldn't be judgmental of that. And we should still be friends. Like that's how people view God. 
when you yeah. view them as your friend, it's like, yeah. well, I'm just supposed to support you and love you no matter what you do. And even if, even if, I mean, and it's, and it's even an incorrect way, I think to look at friendships sometimes, because there's certain totally. things you might do with your kids where I'm like, I should say something, you know what I mean? Totally. Please do. Absolutely. <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah. It's not just, yeah. it's not just, I'm, I don't mean to just put you on that one. Um, but you know, us as, especially the role that we play in each other's lives is like truly close friends and like having a spiritual friendship. Like we ought to actually, you know, like we have an obligation at sometimes to be like, and not just, not just with kids either, like in your, in your marriage or, you know, and Bob and I do this for each other all the time. Um, but we have this obligation to our friends too, to hold them accountable and be like, Hey, like that's not what's best for you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, yeah. that yeah. it's so true. It's so true. Um, a few things that you said, like bubble up some thoughts for me. One yeah. was, um, yeah, uh, there's still, there's still some times that I struggle with like just accepting like church, um, teaching, especially when like, it's something that I don't agree with or like, yeah. Uh, and I, I think part of that is because Protestant faith or evangelical faith puts such an emphasis on like, you need to like figure things out for yourself. Like, here's the book, like have at it. Like you need to kind of like navigate the own waters of like what scripture means and how it should like influence your life. So, um, for example, like for the first year and a half that Bob and I were married, um, I was on the birth control pill because like, I, that's what I, like, you know, that's, it's very common. Like most evangelicals that I know are like on the pill. I never really question it. Yeah. I mean, most Catholics are. Yeah. (laughs) Um, when I had talked to Catholics who felt differently, who like followed church teaching on that about, you know, the church's viewpoint on why, um, we're against birth control. Um, I was like, okay, well, that's silly. You know, like if God can make a virgin pregnant, you know, he can definitely find a way through like the 1% like fallibility yeah. rate of like the birth control pill, you know? Yeah. Um, so like, there still is sometimes like these like rebellious streaks. Like I wanted to pick my own readings for our wedding. Like I thought it was ludicrous that I was handed like a pamphlet with like 12 options and told like to choose from here. I was like, I can read. I mean, I could see why there was a reason for that when most of the, um, like lay people in the church were illiterate, but I was like, no, like I've got this. And like, there's so many great passages that are in my mind appropriate. I mean, like, that's the problem, right? It's like, it's appropriate in my mind, but you know what I'm saying? Like there, the Bible talks in so many different ways about, um, uh, you know, things that are appropriate for marriage, but anyway, just, I do struggle with that sometimes is just like, what does it look like to just say yes to, I may not understand or even agree with like why something is the way it is, but like, this is good. And like submission in this is good. And that will help like sanctify me. And I may not understand now, but, um, I have found that I usually start to understand once I start to walk in obedience. Um, and that's been like a cool way that God has blessed me of like, if I take that first step in obedience, like Bob and I starting, um, NFP, uh, about a year ago, um, you know, yeah. but at first it's like begrudged and then it becomes delightful. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So see like the fruits of that. And just starting to give the benefit of the doubt to the church. That was something that I did really through my college years, as I was kind of drifting into evangelical stuff. I was kind of like, you know, I got to give the benefit of the doubt to the doubt church. We've already been convinced enough that there's a good reason to believe that like the church knows best and I do not, right? And that these people who started their church 15 years ago might have it wrong, right? Yeah. yeah, And it's like, that's not like an absurd thing. And I think it's, I always say, like my main thing that I usually process with is I'm like Catholicism, like here's a 30 second explanation why this is worth looking into, right? Like if you, if you truly come to the conclusion through prayer and, and, learning and studying and things like that, that this is just utterly wrong and not what God wants for you. 
like, so be it, you know, like there's a certain point where I just have to like put it into his hands, but like you, I, I don't think that any Protestant should go their entire life without ever taking a moment to like consider, like truly consider Catholicism. Absolutely. Um, but yeah. yeah, and I think go ahead, I was just going to say that what you just described too is kind of that like American liberalism, you know, where it's just like, well, I like it, like all the times I feel like when I hear like pro- a lot of times I'm talking to evangelicals and stuff about becoming Catholic. One of the main things that I always share in my why am I Catholic? I did it on the podcast and talks that I give is I'm like the number one reason why I'm Catholic is because I think God wants me to be Catholic. And when I ask a lot of fallen away Catholics or non-Catholics why they are what they are, it's always begins with I. But yeah. I'm like, I'm about to give you five reasons that are outside of me, you know, church history, church teaching, Jesus, the Bible, you know, like things that I'm just going to point to and discuss that would lead me to believe that this is the church I'm supposed to be a part of, instead of saying, I like the music and I just think, and I feel like, and it's like, that can't, that, that can't be your reason for why you, so you are what you are. Know? I, I love that line of like, I feel like God wants me to be Catholic because I, I, that resonates with me of like, like I said, like a few times now, like it's, it was begrudged at first. Like, you know, it was like, uh, right. taking a first begrudged step. Um, and I feel like Scott Hahn actually like, um, in uh, his book that he wrote with his wife talking about their conversion, it was almost sort of similar. Like he kind of step-by-step step started to become more Catholic and almost had a feeling of like, rut row. Like I'm starting yeah. to look a lot more like a Catholic. Um, but I also love your comment about a feeling because that's another thing that really made me want to, um, pursue Catholicism was so much of my evangelical faith had been, um, predicated on how I felt and it's moving. Like you can be at an evangelical service and there's a like 10 piece rock band. And like, you're with a hundred people, you know, who are all like singing and like, it's, it's a really powerful thousands. thing. Yeah. Or thousands. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but like, just like marriage or just like any kind of like other, like feeling that we have on earth, like the, the feeling will die out. Um, and so then what happens when you're not feeling that way. And like in, um, evangelical circles, you'll talk a lot about like, I just don't really feel God right now, you know, like, or I, right. I don't feel close to God. Um, and one thing that I loved about Catholicism was, um, I may not feel close to God every day, but like, even when I don't, um, like I, the Catholic church has given me like the words to say, like the, literally the words just to pray. Like if I don't have like the ability to kind of sum up my own prayers, which right. I love to freestyle prayer. And like, I think it's a really important, important way to like commune with God. But if Absolutely. I don't have anything to say, like a hail Mary will get me there or like, it'll right. at least like get me started, you know? And like For the sure. rhythms of going to mass every week, even if I don't feel God, whatever that means, you know, um, yeah. I just like loved that picture for sure. No, hundred percent. And then I think, you know, the other thing that you said too, that that just reminded me of is I think one thing that is, um, that I would say, I've often said something that you said earlier, which is that the, the church can learn a lot from Protestants in that kind of friendship and having that relationship. And one thing that I've kind of like started gradually thinking, I still think that that's true to an extent, but I think that the, the most accurate version of that is that the current church can learn a lot from previous Catholics. You know, because like one thing that I've started reading or one thing that I looked up when you first said that was just like the different titles of Mary. And if you yeah. just look at the different titles that the church has for Mary, I think that like it kind of gives you both of those vibes, right? Of like the mother that you can like run to and just like tell about your day and also like the queen of heaven. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Queen of heaven is one of them. I'm looking at it here like joy of the just, cause of our joy, comfort of the afflicted. Um, and then you have like... uh morning star, right? Like these are the ones that are just kind of like delightful. And then there's like queen of heaven. There's, um, what was the other one I just saw? Destroyer of heresy. That's pretty big. Co-redemptrix, 
a mother of divine grace, you know, like some of them are like very regal and like official. And then some of them are like cause of our joy just sounds amazing. Right. <laughs> <It's> like, that <laughs> no, sounds pretty awesome. It really encapsulates what she is. But then I also made me think of last week, Emily was, so I, Emily obviously is like a, the, a theology, she studied theology. She teaches me a lot. And we were at church or we were at breakfast after mass and she was teaching about St. Teresa of Avila. She kind of has these like nine levels of prayer, basically mm-hmm. that like one goes on this journey. Right. And, um, it also, we kind of got to talking about this because of St. Faustine. I've been reading St. Faustina's diary. I don't know if you've ever read any of that. But it, that's one of the things that like, I, I mean, when I talk about like, we can learn from old Catholics. So if you read St. Faustina's diary, like she, she had a lot of apparitions of Jesus and had like this unfathomably intimate relationship with God. Right. But it's like, she describes him or talked about the way that she talks about him like a spouse. Right. And she was a religious. So it's in many ways, he was her spouse. Um, but it's, it's, so it's so much like you would describe like your relationship with Bob at certain points, right? Like your relationship with your husband or just like your closest friend, right? Like the love of your life. Um, and it's like, we, we should learn from them in that, right? Like the way that the saints talk about their relationship with God is not only as King of the universe, it is included in that, but it's this beautiful, perfect balance. Like the saints are the ones who strike that balance of friend in that. But then the other thing I want to talk about these nine levels of prayer is I almost like level one is like vocal prayer. Then two is meditation, three effective prayer going all the way up to like nine is the prayer of transforming union, right? Like the thing that mostly is like almost reserved for saints, like your, your deepest saints. But I feel like there's, you could almost look at like an entry level, like before like level one would be like some of the emotional experiences that we have at like concerts and conferences and things like that, you know, that should be this like intro into level one, two, and three, but there's like, that's what I feel like a lot of evangelical stuff is lacking is it's kind of like, Oh, like get baptized and then like, go enjoy the funny sermon in the the concert every week. There's no like next level. Like there is no interior castle of St. Teresa of Avila, but the real deep ones, what this is so funny is like, we just read the ruthless elimination of hurry and like your Protestant pastors and stuff like like, they read that stuff. And then almost in a sense, like reject it or pull out what they Mm -hmm. like about it. And yeah, Occasionally reference St. Augustine and Thomas Aquinas and Teresa of Calcutta and Teresa of Avila. And it's just so interesting to me. Uh, there's like, but they never will like push their, their people, you know, their congregations like deeper into that stuff. Totally. And I do, I mean, as an evangelical, like we definitely engaged with topics of like hard topics, you know, stuff like suffering yeah. and, and other things like that. So um, I, I do think that there is wrestling, but mm-hmm. like in terms of kind of like challenging yourself to like up level and like take the next step or like take the next sacrifice. Um, I, I just see it a little bit more, um, in my Catholic community than I did necessarily in like the communities I grew up, uh, yeah. grew up in. And different denominations, different churches do it. Some do it a lot better. Some do it really poorly. You know what I mean? Like yeah. some, some talk about those like difficult cultural and um, you know, social issues and things like that. And some just completely avoid those things. You know, I'm always, I always joke about like elevation. I'm like if Stephen Furtick had to make one sermon on gay marriage or abortion on, or on gender theory, like what would happen to his, his congregation would half, I think overnight, yeah, you know, which is why he never will. <laughs> no, it's true. And like, I, you know, it's funny. Like when I think about like when I have children, do. yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I think about when I have children of like, how, like, what order are we going to teach them these things? Right. Because like there is, there is a sense of like, kind of like trying to like lay things out in a progression. Um, and I do think like, especially for my young children, I really want to emphasize like 
you know, that Jesus loves you and like that you are like a creation of God. Right. And like that there is a like, grace and forgiveness for mistakes, but at a time, like you have to put away some of those like childish things and like be willing to like, progress. And like, right. um, I think St. Paul talked about it as like, you have to move on to like solid food, right? Like you can't yeah, still be exactly. thinking about, like you have to move on to solid food. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that so much of the way we view God comes from our parents. And so we have an unbelievable opportunity too to fit, like to, to be both of those things. You know what I mean? Like you are the queen of your house, but you're also can be the cause of their joy. You know what I mean? Like you can be both of those things. Obviously you're not going to be necessarily friends with your kids the way that that can be misconstrued to be like being too soft on your kids or not, you know, having any discipline, but you can be friend, like you're friendly and you play with them, but they also need to listen to you, you know, and that's kind of the balance that you hope to strike um, with their, their perspective on God. But yeah, I think that's a good segue as we talk about our children (laughs) to go into the other um, less fun topic that we wanted to discuss today, which is kind of generally speaking about the, the pain of miscarriage. Um, so this is a huge transition of topic, but, um, talking about the pain of miscarriage and, um, just some of the lessons that you've learned, obviously. So for, for our listeners out there, so you recently, we both recently experienced a miscarriage, so we haven't really publicly talked about that before, but Emily and I just really in this last week, uh, yeah, seven to 10 days. And then you guys, um, was, uh, three weeks ago, yeah, a month four, ago today, a month yeah. ago, a month ago today. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so we found out we were pregnant. Yeah. Just a few days before we had officially heard about yours the same weekend that you guys were going through it. Um, and so, yeah, so that was obviously a flood of emotions for, for all of us, but, um, yeah. So we wanted to talk about that. You reached out to me, you know, just recently and, and talked about some of the lessons that you've learned from that. Um, and so I want to give you obviously an opportunity just to kind of generally share about whatever you want to share to kind of get us started off. And then we can kind of go into, yeah, lessons maybe that we learned about, um, pro-choicers or the abortion movement, because I think it's always important to empathize and, and, and humanize the other side of debates. I try to do that a lot. I think I'm, I'm really good at doing that for people who are very pro BLM. And I mm-hmm. think that I also can be really good and don't do it as often, but people who, subscribe to, you know, or promote same-sex marriage and things like that. Like, I think there's a lot of strong arguments as to why somebody would be um, in those camps. And I think that I can give the arguments really well for those two things. Um, less so for gender theory and uh, and abortion. And so I think this is going to be really good to kind of give some of that perspective. But anyways, I just talked a lot, but. Yeah, no, that, I love that. That was a great setup. Um, so talking about my, my experience, my husband, Bob, and my experience, um, we found out on new year's day that we were pregnant with our first baby, um, who was extremely wanted, but, um, came quicker than we expected. You know, I joke that I wrote in my new year's resolutions for 2022. So I was, it was like December 30th. And I wrote down that I wanted to get pregnant this year. Um, and then two days later on January 1st, I took a positive pregnancy test. <laughs> so, um, God works quick. Um, and so, yeah, we found on January 1st that we were pregnant. We're just so excited. And, you know, you go through those first few weeks and then those weeks turn into months of pregnancy. And, um, one thing that I was really reflecting on was that I did not really feel pregnant for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's like a, a thought that that kind of planted in my head was, I could really empathize with a lot of women who are pregnant and they um, are just able to like kind of distance themselves mentally from the fact that they're carrying a baby because it doesn't always feel like that, you know, like your body doesn't change 
that dramatically right at the beginning. Like, um, I, I think it'd just be easy to write off like, oh, I'm feeling so tired because work is crazy or, you know, um, I have been like eating more sweets. So like my jeans are a little bit tight, but you know, it takes a little bit before you get to a basketball under your shirt. Um, and like for those first few months and stuff, um, it is hard to kind of feel connected. And I think that's one of the reasons that's so important. Um, especially as people who are advocates for life to help, um, help educate, um, everyone, whether they're believers or not about the fact that like at just a few weeks, your baby has like all their organs and like a heartbeat and like, you know, being able to like see an ultrasound with your child, like is just, it's amazing way, like actually feel connected to the fact that there is a baby inside of you because walking around in your daily life, you may not always like feel like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, uh, at, after about five months, so we were 19 weeks pregnant, um, Bob and I, um, we took a test that's like an optional test that can help to identify for like down syndrome or spina bifida, um, which are just, if you're not, you know, if you're not, if you know, if you haven't had kids, maybe like you don't really like think about like those things, but just some defects, um, some abnormalities that could happen with a baby. And at first we weren't going to do the test because our thought was the, out- the outcome of the test will not determine whether or not we have this baby, which frankly, like there are a lot of tests kind of in your first trimester of pregnancy that I personally think are geared towards um, providing like an exit ramp to people like, oh, you find out at eight weeks that your baby may have down syndrome, like you can get an abortion, you know, versus like finding out like when you have the baby in your arms. So we declined a lot of those tests, but we did do this one because if it turned out that they had spina bifida, you can do surgery, um, in the womb that can help them to have like better life. Right. So we were like, okay, if it's going to be life affirming, like we want that information and we want to help them as much as we can. Um, and that test result came back, uh, pretty, pretty concerned with a concerning level of the thing they were testing for. So that was kind of our first indication that maybe something wasn't, um, totally right with our baby. Um, and so that was right before Easter weekend on good Friday, we got those results. Um, and that kicked off the worst week of my life, um, with all of a sudden just kind of what I thought was just this really blue skies pregnancy, like our first baby, um, you know, all of a sudden, like we were wrestling with the fact that like our baby might be really sick. Um, and all of a sudden, like a lot of these visions that I had about, you know, um, what I thought life with my first child was going to look like, and I'm a first child. So, um, you know, I was, I think it felt very personal, um, in some of those ways, but, um, all of a sudden I was wondering, like, is my child going to be at best extremely like disabled, um, or at worst, could they have something that's, uh, like a fatal, a fatal diagnosis where maybe I'm looking at the next four months of pregnancy where I will carry to term and then the baby would die, you know, like within a mm-hmm. week. And that was the first time in my life that I'd ever considered, um, would I get an abortion? You know, like when I, when I was thinking to myself, like, is this baby going to get a diagnosis that they will be put on like hospice care, um, like immediately after birth, you know, can I do that? Like, can I, can I go through like the next four months, um, you know, carrying this baby and like having strangers asking me like, Oh boy or girl, you know, only to know that they would die immediately. Um, and I'm like, not proud to admit that I, I I've been a pro-life person my whole life, but that was one of the first moments where I was like, wow, like I love this baby so much. And also like, I don't know if I'm strong enough to do that. Um, and the Tuesday after Easter, it was the day before we were going to go in to sort of confirm what's happening. You know, we were having our, our anatomy scan ultrasound on a Wednesday. So on Tuesday, I'll just never forget, um, 
sitting in my bed with like my hands on my stomach. Um, and just like thinking to myself, like, I am never going to give up on you. Like, like saying that to my baby of like, even if you have like this fatal diagnosis, like I will, I would literally never, um, I would never give up on you. Like I'll never abort you. Um, and I'm really glad that I had that moment because I think given the events of the next few days, I would have felt really guilty for having entertained the thought of getting an abortion. If I hadn't had that sort of moment of no, like I, I won't do that to this child because the next day, um, Bob and I went to our ultrasound and, you know, the first thing we see up on the screen is the profile of my like fully formed baby. Um, and I could see like their ears and their spine and their, their hands. Um, and I was laser focused looking at their spine because the things that we were concerned about them maybe having were like spinal issues or like, um, like, uh, some sort of like a brainstem issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and the technician just starts asking us a lot of questions like, is this your first ultrasound? Like, have you been bleeding? You know, these questions that in hindsight were concerning, but did not immediately click because I was just like in awe looking at my child. Um, And then she said she had to go get the doctor. Um, And when she went to go open the door, the doctor was already standing there. Um, And then the doctor said words that Bob and I were just not expecting of there was no heartbeat. Um, And it took a second, I think for that to sink in. And then, um, the doctor and the technician left the room and Bob and I just like started sobbing, just like crying, you know, looking at this like fully formed baby, um, that we've been like caring and like loving and praying for, for months. Um, and just hearing like, there's no heartbeat. Um, and all of a sudden, like all the worst case scenarios that I thought that I'd been considering of like having a child in a wheelchair, which is, you know, it just started to pale in comparison of like, oh gosh, I would do anything to have a child in a wheelchair compared to like this news that I just received. Um, but we found out that, um, our daughter was a girl. We found out the baby was a girl. We'd been waiting, um, to find out at birth, but we did take the opportunity to find out at that point And we named her Rosary. Um, and in the days and weeks that followed of us, like just processing losing rosary and, um, the fact that I was not going to become, you know, a parent in September. Um, I started having all these conversations with other friends and family members who had had miscarriages. Um, and in particular, some of the most comforting conversations I had were with other people who, um, were extremely like late in their pregnancy when they, when they miscarried, you know, people who, um, that happened at like five months, six months, but, in those conversations, I, I learned that, um, not everyone at five or six months had the same situation as me. Um, not all of them like walked into the ultrasound and found that their baby was already dead. Um, but there were other people who did get fatal diagnoses and then they chose to abort the children. Um, and one thing that was really striking to me was like sitting with some of these women who maybe these pregnancies and these babies happened, um, 25 years ago. And they're sobbing about the child that they lost, even though like they chose to get an abortion, you know? And and I think like whenever I've thought about people having a late term abortion, you know, around like 20 weeks or something, um, I mean, I, I guess taking a step back, I, I, I've, I've had, like, I haven't had a ton of like patience or grace for people who I felt like were using abortion as birth control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that that also kind of extended to some of these like later term, um, abortion decisions, but, um, just after speaking like several women who did get abortions, but are like sitting there, like sobbing to me about these babies that they, like, they felt that their babies had been taken from them in the same way that I did, you know, um, it was just like a deeply 
humbling moment to kind of consider that, um, it was traumatic for them too, you know? Um, and that does not, I do not like support abortion, like at any, at any point. Um, and like this experience, you know, of being pregnant, um, in some ways only like strengthened my resolve on that. Like the fact Mm -hmm. that like every life is like so meaningful and that like the debate of when a child like is worthy of having their life fought for, you know, whether that's like a point of vitality, which, you know, with the advances in science is only going to continue to creep earlier, you know, like right now, like a baby is considered viable at around 21 weeks. And like the first baby to be born at 21 weeks and live um, successfully, I'm pretty sure I didn't like check this fact, but from my reading, I think was, I think that baby was born in 2020. So a fairly recent development, perhaps that like a line of viability had been established at 21 weeks, but yeah. medicine's only going to get better. better. <laughs> you know, like yeah. these are only going to be viable earlier. Um, and so like, I, all that goes to say, like, um, I, I, by no means am I saying that I think like that, the, the choices that these families made to abort their children was like acceptable, but like, I have a new perspective on like the loss that they also feel about yeah. uh, the choice that they made. And I just thought that was like important to share. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we have as a church and that the church herself has um, in putting forth teaching on sins and uh, things like that is and this is this kind of goes back to everything we talked about before too, of like the judgmentalism that a lot of evangelicals and others in the world kind of see as uh, the Catholic way of life is kind of battling this dichotomy of needing to address things that are sinful and caring for those who have committed the sin. Yeah, and it's it's incredible to me how difficult that is and how unwilling people are to try to find the balance. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because yeah. so often it's so easy to do one or the other, and I think you see that like when the Roe v. Wade leak came out, you have these people who are just like immediately like every woman who had abortion should like go to prison. And it's like, okay, let's, let's calm it down for a second. Right. Like, even if you think that's true, like perhaps not most helpful right now. Right. Um, But then on the other side of it, you have this, like, who are we to judge? Like we should never, like everybody can make their own choice. Like God lets women have choice and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, let's not get like heretical either. (laughs) You know what I mean? God does not encourage us to just make whatever decision we want. It's the, again, goes back to like this liberalism that reigns in so many people's lives. Um, But yeah, it's really, really difficult. And that's what I think is hard when you get to the, when you get to understanding the truth and like this balance of like abortion is a sin it can like the, the whole hate, the sin, love, the sinner thing is very, very challenging. It's so like, hard. You do come to hate the sin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, I, I just started trying to like think of like this comparison a little bit of like when we were planning the funeral mass for my daughter, um, we, we were talking to the priest and, um, Bob asked like, do, do, should I say a eulogy? Like, is that like part of like the proceedings? And our, um, our priest said, we have a strict, no eulogy policy because one time, um, you know, there was a funeral at our church and it didn't come out until the eulogy that the, the person had died by suicide. And father was like, um, literally we're like, in church, like about to have a mass, like for this person who like died by suicide. But, um, what you were just saying kind of reminded me of that, of like, we can fully condemn suicide and say that that is like not what God wants. And, you know, it's going to have consequences. Right. But also just because someone dies by suicide, like, doesn't mean that there wasn't like a death. Right. So like, how do we like hold space for all of those things? Right. Of, 
um, showing a godly love, um, but also like, uh, I don't want to say like godly justice, but almost to say, you know what I mean? Like, how do we show yeah. love while we're also like not compromising on these things that we hold to be true? Yeah. It's incredibly challenging. I still remember like pretty vividly where I was the first time um, I met with somebody who had told me that they had an abortion. And at this point in my life, I was in college. I think I was a, I can't remember if I was a junior or a senior, but I was like very unprepared for it, obviously, right? Like I was still like very new in ministry. And, you know, I mean, ironically, like I was, I don't, I don't know if I was less pro-life because I was definitely like fully pro-life at that point, but I was less like advocating for the pro-life movement sure. at that time. Um, but it still like rocked my world, right? And then since then it's happened several times um, and friends of mine and women I've dated in the past and things like that. And so, um, but it, it is just like, I mean, it's like, when you hear something that bad, you know, something that you, you obviously like realize like the gravity of, it can be really difficult and it, it could be really difficult to kind of rationalize with them and where they were at the moment. And it's also dangerous to do that, which is why I think we have this like natural aversion as Catholics to do that, because you don't want to get into the point of like rationalizing sin. Cause you can do that for any sin, totally. you know? And so when you think about these like grave matters of like the seriousness of it, and it's like, well, do you rationalize like, because we, we, you can kind of like the, this isn't, I'm not comparing the two groups per se, but, you know, you kind of see like in the world today of this like push from a lot of people on like the radical left and like in the most extreme of the LGBT community, pushing for like this normalization of like pedophilia as well as just yeah. kind of like a, a gender identity or like a, you know, um, a sexual orientation. Right. And it's like, you see what they're doing can almost feel like what you can be doing when you like rationalize with someone who's chose to abort their child at 30 weeks, let's say, you know what I mean? When you have like a pretty formed baby that like very clearly most people would agree is a human life. Um, like it's hard to, it's hard to like make a distinction of the two, but I think what's important is um, that regardless, either one of those people, when they are before you, you do like, we do have an obligation to love them. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. And that's like, that's like our main thing while still condemning the sin and never, I think I have a podcast coming out tomorrow, actually, that is uh, titled, are we too harsh on pro-choice Catholics? And I talk about the severity of abortion. I don't know if you've ever read the, um, uh, not a lot of people read the catechism, but I don't know if you've ever read the catechism teaching on abortion. But I read next, next year, I, I heard Father Mike's doing catechism in a year. And yeah, I yeah. That's going to um, be fire. <laughs> so Emily, Emily goes to bed really early. And so I go up really early with her and read at nighttime. <laughs> and so that's why I've read so much more. And we have our little prayer corner, which has St. Faustina's diary on it and the catechism. And so I, during the Roe v. Wade week, read in the catechism about the church's teaching on abortion. And I didn't know this, but any woman who successfully procures an abortion, and I believe also applies to any doctor that does it, is automatically excommunicated. Mm which is, I mean, massive. So for those who don't know, I shared this in that podcast, but the excommunicate basically means to be cut off, right? Like you are, you have, like, it's so profound to think of, like when you get baptized, right? And, and I explained this better in that podcast because I read quotes, but when you get baptized, you open up this channel of God's grace to flow through you as a child of God. Excommunication, like literally severs that. Like you no longer receive that. Um, which is just like unbelievably profound to think about how serious that is. And you can't just go to confession 
to have excommunication lifted, right? So somebody who's actually had an abortion, like there's like a special, like you, like you like go by appointment, right? Like you can't just go in to like confession line and like confess that like you actually have, you're supposed to do something else outside of that. Um, and I, I think the priest almost like has to get permission from a bishop or something to actually forgive that sin. I don't, I'm not exactly positive on that. So, uh, don't quote me on that, but just thinking about like how profound that is, you know what I mean? And sharing that, um, like we do have this obligation to tell people about like the severity of that, but also I think it, it also makes it so much more compassionate for me to think about, um, these people who are cut off, you know, by God's grace that severely, like their, their reasoning just gets so darkened. Totally. And I, I think an important thing to focus on there is that it's not, it's not a one-way door, you know, like absolutely. Like someone could make a mistake like that and, and have very real consequences. You know, if you, if you choose to have an abortion or murder somebody or like there are, there are plenty of sins, right? Like there are obviously real consequences, but, um, we also are told, right. That we are, literally never too far to be like saved by like grace. And like, that might be a process, right? It sounds like you need to make an appointment and like, there's some logistics to go through, but, um, those people are never beyond like the saving power of God. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're never, they're never too far. And, um, and I, I, for me, I think one thing that, uh, just like being pregnant and reflecting all of this has given me is like thinking about the lies, um, that these people have to have believed in order to like make those decisions, and I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that to like, it, it does not exonerate them, but I think it does. Um, it does call for some compassion. Just like, them for sure. Totally. And thinking about like any kind of sin, right? Like whether it's same sex attraction or, um, or having an abortion or anything else like that. I don't mean to only list those two. Like there are plenty of other sins that are, that are important. I feel like we focus on those, on those two a lot, but you yeah, know, just, it involves like believing lies, right? Um, yeah. Lies that like children will ruin your life. Um, lies that that is not a baby. Um, that like the choice that you're making is you know isolated to you, right? And that it doesn't have like ramifications on like other people. Um, yeah. What about like the father? Um, you know, someone who like also is like fifty percent of that child, right? Um, like it's going to have like ramifications on their life too. Um, and it's funny you mentioned like the doctors who perform abortions. That was another hard thing for me because um, after Rosary died, um, we, we we elected to do, use surgery to like remove her body. Um, so which involved like going to see a doctor who basically specializes in that procedure, which entails a lot of miscarriages like my situation, but also would entail like late term abortions. And she was literally the the nicest doctor I've ever worked with. And obviously niceness is not how you get to heaven, right? Like there are plenty of nice yeah. people who are like leading like evil lives and like making bad decisions. But um, I think that was just like another moment for me to, you know, I, I've pictured these doctors performing abortions as like these evil figures with like hooked noses and like, you know, horns growing out of their heads. Right. Um, and like, yeah. that was not my experience. Like the, this doctor, held my hand as I like sobbed, um, you know, like the last few minutes that I had, like when my daughter was in my body and like, um, I can never, I can never forget that compassion that was like shown to me, um, and like divorce it from like my knowledge of like that industry and like the people who perform that procedure. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie unplanned and I haven't seen it in three years, but I know that there, I believe that there's a part in there where they kind of where Abby Johnson is like talking with one of the counselors. And I think she was a counselor for a while. And I think it was like during her training or something, they show like a little scene in there. And it like, she basically 
is like turned off and like shocked to hear that the counselor almost is like a salesperson for abortion. Mm. Like they basically like express their options as like abortion is your best route. And I think if you are an uninformed, especially young woman making this decision by yourself and you're told it's not a human life, it's not a life yet. It's not this, it's not that like, and this is, these are like the really negative consequences of if you don't, um, yeah, it, it, you can see how it is kind of uh, a much more appealing route or, or option uh, than it seems for most of us who uh, are, are not in that circumstance and have the information and knowledge, wisdom, flow of God's grace to our minds, bodies, and souls, right, that we do. Um, and I think that's so important to, to recognize. There's a quote here from Lumen Gentium that uh, is one of the Vatican II documents that um, Emily sent me a while ago, and we were talking through some other things that um, really made me think it was kind of on this conversation of like, will many be saved? But there's this quote in here that kind of goes along with what we're talking about. It says, um, often men deceived by the evil one have become vain in their reasonings and have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, serving the creature rather than the creator. And mm-hmm. that was, it was something I was reading it this morning. And it just really struck me because I remember you talking about this doctor to me before. And I was like, that, that seems like that type of person, right? Like, it's like they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And sometimes unknowingly, but they become vain in their reasonings and serve the creature rather than the creator. And that's exactly what so many people have come to do. And Lumen Gentium really stresses our responsibility to preach the gospel to every creature. Um, And it says the church fosters this mission with care and attention, right? And that's something that we just have this like incredible obligation to do. And kind of going back to your conversion story too, to be that shining example, obviously you're not going to be it to everybody, but to try to be that example in other people's lives of, uh, you know, the, the way of God is better than the way of man. Yeah, it's true. And for me, honestly, like I've, I've not been very outspoken, um, in the past about like my beliefs on this matter. Um, you know, I have like many like non-Catholic, like very like liberal or at least like libertarian friends who like fight for like, um, abortion, um, to be legal. Um, and I've always kind of like kept my mouth shut, but like, frankly, like one of the things coming out of like my grief over rosary is, um, what if like one of the reasons that like God allowed me to have this baby, um, and like lose this baby in this way was to try and like, both give me this empathy, but also like give me a drive to like be more outspoken about this. And like, one thing I've been trying to do when talking to people as they've been like sharing condolences is emphasize like the importance of the faith of like keeping me from just like falling apart when you're going yeah. through like, a tragedy like this. So like really trying to, um, you know, find the good in this, um, horrible situation, right. Of like letting it open some doors to conversations. I mean, there, there are people like good friends of ours who good friends and family members who are extremely pro-choice who are like sobbing over like my daughter's death. Right. Um, and I'm just like, how can that not stimulate a conversation about the fact that like you're fighting for babies like Rosary to like be able to be terminated across the country, you know, it's so, like, you can't just like turn this on like a faucet, right? Like we can't just decide which baby yeah, happens all the time with celebrities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, honestly, when everything happened with Chrissy Teigen a few yeah. years back, I remember feeling extremely uncharitable. Um, and I was thinking like, Oh, you know, like this is ridiculous. Like there's, she's sad about this, but like, she's like a passionate advocate for like pro-choice, you know, term abortion. Yeah. Right. And like, um, all these like fans of hers are comforting her. And I remember just thinking like, this is like BS. Um, and I'm very ashamed of that now having gone through the exact same thing that she went through of like losing a baby at five months. Um, because 
it is horrible. And like, I, I, I regret like my uncharitable feelings towards someone who was going through like this like tragedy. Um, but it is true. Like we cannot decide which lives are worth, um, mourning. We can't like every life is important and worth and worthy of like this kind of like outpouring and like support. Yeah. And we have to be consistent in that too. Um, and yeah, it's so easy to not be, <laughs> you know, to be drawn into that. I definitely, uh, relate to, to being uncharitable to, people I disagree with at times for sure. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, there's another, there's another quote here in Lumen Gentium I want to read because it, it just is so relevant to, and I, I've, I've been the same way. I think like I'm very outspoken in certain ways here on the podcast and try to equip people with pro-life arguments and things like that. And I have a good number of conversations about these, this issue and, and others, but I don't think I am as much as I should be. Um, because I, I remember there was one family member in particular that I had a very like bold, um, conversation with. And it was amazing to me, even though that person did not change their life at all after that conversation. And there's been a couple of the family members here and there, but even though they didn't change their life at all, I had a lot more peace about kind of like where they're at now, because I felt like I shot my shot, Yeah, you know, and I was like, Hey, you know, and that's some, that to a certain extent, it's like what the gospel calls us to do, right? Like Jesus, when he sends out the 72, I think is such a great example of this when he talks about like, Hey, the people who don't accept you, like wipe the d- dust off from your shoes and go to the next town or to the next home, you know, um, like don't stay there and mourn over every person who says no. Um, but I think it's so important. And this is what I talked about. And are we too harsh on pro-choice Catholics? Because I make this long argument, um, which I'm, I think you would be interested in hearing someday on, uh, <laughs> well, I'll listen to the podcast. I'll, yeah. I'll go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we can do a part two, but on whether or not people, like this, this debate that we always have of like, are you, are you Catholic once and then you're Catholic for life? Or is there like a certain point where you can be like not Catholic anymore? Sure. And I make my best attempt at the argument to say that there is a point at which you can say that you're not Catholic anymore. Um, which yeah, it has a lot of different points to it and took me like 40 minutes to make, but there's one thing that I think is really important here is because it says that, um, all the church's children should remember that their exalted status is to be attributed not to their own merits, but to the special grace of Christ. If they fail, moreover, to respond to that grace in thought, word, and deed, not only shall they not be saved, but they will be more severely judged. And that to me is just like so powerful, especially for those who are Christians, especially those who are Catholics, like especially, especially those who are Catholics, is to recognize that like through your baptism, you do receive this special grace and this grace is supposed to help to form your conscience and form your beliefs and your thoughts and things like that. But the fact that it says in there specifically, respond to that grace in thought, word, and deed. Like I I just, I always stress every time I talk about this, like if you believe, which you should, if you believe in scripture, that some people go to heaven and some people go to hell. If you believe in Catholic tradition, where many saints have had either apparitions of through apparitions of Mary or Jesus peaks into like certain mystics peak into hell where they say, not only does it exist, but it's extraordinarily crowded. If you believe in scripture that Jesus says narrow is the path that goes to heaven, wide is the road that goes to destruction and many take it. Yeah. Like you can imagine that the people who are actively advocating for abortion are in a very, very bad place spiritually. Yeah. And our need to at least like, I just, and and this is so convicting for me because I just think I can think of a number of people in my life and I'm just like, they, like we owe it to them to at least once be like, Hey, you shouldn't, you shouldn't think this way, (laughs) you know, like this is a dangerous spot for you. And as your friend, I just want to tell you that if you ever are open to hearing the other arguments, like genuinely, like I'm happy to explain them to you um, in any, any, any time, 
You know, it doesn't have to be like a, you're wrong and like go in on them, but just like the opening the door, because I think that another thing that this, this document really talks about this excerpt, especially talks about is basically like um, the church is very generous in opening the possibility of salvation to those who of no fault of their own, which is often the, the words that are used uh, of no fault of their own, do not know of, of Christ or the need to be baptized or of the gospel. Right? right. But to think that anybody in America in 2022 that has an iPhone is not willfully ignorant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like it, it to me, it's just like, it's unfathomable. I don't know how you can make the argument of living 80 years in the 21st century and being like, and expecting that these people, well, they just didn't know. It's like, how are they going to make that argument? I think it's going to be really interesting. Like when we get to heaven and like some of these mysteries are revealed to see like, what does God consider like someone like not knowing any better? Right. Because like, that's also yeah. like one of the criteria for committing a sin to correct is right. that someone has to be aware that it's like, at least wrong. for mortal sin. Right. Oh, so for, for abortion, yeah. let's say like, if you're someone who's like grown up in America and like, you've been told your whole life that like, abortion is healthcare, like, and you get an abortion, like, do you know that it's wrong? Like, have you ever like, was there ever like a fair chance of like the thought that it's wrong, like being rooted in your heart? Like I, as a person, I want to say like, yeah, like you probably should know, or like you can have an inkling about it, but I just, I think that'll be something that like, we'll just learn about like God's sense of like justice, right. Because he may have his own criteria. It may not be enough to just have heard the name of Jesus like, you know, which is like part of our culture, whether or not you're religious. Right. But, yeah. um, maybe having like, you know, heard the truth needs to mean something more than that. And we, we, aren't, we don't know that threshold. Um, so I, I love what you're saying of like the, the loving thing for us to do is just to shoot our shot. Right. And like try yeah. and have conversations. Someone put it to me once as how much do you have to hate someone to not like yeah. share the gospel with them? Um, and I, and I think this is really connected to everything we're saying about, like loving the sinner, right? Because I think if we approached some of our um, discussions with people who disagree with us on this matter from a position of love um, for their soul and also for like their possible like unborn children or past unborn children, you know, um, as opposed to us just trying to like convince them that they're wrong um, and like prove our own points, I think we might get a lot further. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's huge. Um... Yeah, I would love to just wrap up if you have any thoughts on, you know, you talked about the, uh, you know, sharing how your faith has kept you from kind of falling apart during this time. And we were kind of talking about that before we started of yeah. just the challenges that that uh, miscarriages and um, yeah, things like it can propose like pose to somebody's faith life. And so I'm curious if you have any thoughts on somebody who maybe is currently or recently went through a miscarriage on what you would, what you would say to them and what yeah. somebody else, and maybe what somebody else that could be like, and like what some of your best friends or supporters or family members, like what they did for you during that time that meant the most as well. Totally. Um, well, I would say if you're listening to this and you recently had a miscarriage, um, I'm so sorry. And that's horrible. Um, sometimes like there's nothing more that you can really say other than that, you know, like there's plenty of people who say things with like great intentions about like statistics or you're young, like different things like that. But frankly, like the things that were the most helpful to me to hear were just, um, hearing that other people were with me, um, in my grief. Um, and obviously they're not going to feel it the same as like a baby's parents, but still like that they, they love us and that they're mourning with us and for this life that like mattered to them, you know? Um, 
in the last few weeks, I've really loved when people have like asked me about how I'm doing, you know, like, I think some people are afraid to like bring it up, but I don't want to pretend that what happened was just like a blip in my step. You know, like there was a real life that, um, was born or, you know, died, lived, died. And, you know, they were significant though. So I like when people, um, remember my daughter, um, that's really reassuring for me personally, like navigating my grief. And I don't know if this is something that some, I don't know if these words would have helped the same way if someone had told them to me, but this is like stuff that I was thinking about included, um, really meditating on the fact that God loves me and God loves my baby. And that like this event happening, like does not change any of that. So that's been like one thing that I've really been like trying to like hold fast to is that, um, even in the face of this tragedy, like I am loved and like, so is, so is my daughter. Um, another thing I've been thinking about is that, um, my baby is not sad. Uh, you know, I have talked to my priest a lot about, you know, what happens to babies, um, who die. And like, obviously like there's, there's a lot of theological discussion around, um, what happens to children who die before they can get baptized. Um, but at least for me, um, and like talking to my priest and like some other like friends, it is difficult to imagine. Um, it, it feels inconsistent with God's character and what we know about him to imagine that like a baby who was born to like loving parents who like wanted to raise them to be Catholic and wanted to baptize them, but like just literally like never had the chance. Like their child was just like taken from them. Like it's hard to imagine that child not being, um, you know, in heaven. And that's, that's not like a pronounced like theological opinion. Um, but the way that my priest put it is that, um, when we talk about like babies being in like limbo, like limbo just means like, we don't know what happens. Like the Bible does not come out and say, right. Like this is exactly what happens if you lose a baby before they're baptized or something. But, um, for me, I at least really love to think of Mary, um, being like a foster mother to my baby, yeah. and, like Joseph being like a foster father to her until I get to get there. And like, I'm tearing up, like thinking about that, especially given what I told you guys all earlier about how, like, I didn't want to have Ave Maria sung at my wedding because, um, Mary was not important to me. Um, and now she's kind of like the most important thing in my life because she's the one who's like taking care of my daughter. Um, but yeah, just like thinking about different things like that, or like carry you, you know, just like the reassurance of God's like faithfulness and promises. Um, and just the knowledge that like, this is a horrible thing. Um, and it's like worthy of mourning, but, um, my baby didn't just die. She also lived and like her life was like important and like meaningful to God. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. I think, you know, one thing that was really comforting to us was we had this really great um, homily the last Sunday. So it was the day after that the bleeding kind of started when we kind of had a hunch. Right. And father Brian Larkin, who's our pastor, he gave this great homily on hope. And he's really awesome and gets really emotional when speaking. And he was very emotional this day, as he usually is. Um, but he he talked about this this apparently like 100-page poem that somebody wrote about hope. And he describes faith, hope, and love as like, um, like kind of personifies them. And he talks about hope being like this little girl who uh, kind of like pulls you along by the hand, uh, like very excitedly, right? And kind of like runs you and tugs you along towards something. And... Uh, Emily really had this beautiful kind of just reflection from it, like the next day kind of thinking about it and was like, you know, that's kind of how she's like, that's how we can kind of view this now, you know, as like, we have this baby that's kind of like pulling us along towards heaven. And, and she's heard that from a lot of women, Catholic women, especially who have miscarried before of like how much more 
does it make you long to go to heaven, right? To be a saint now, to to meet the baby one day, you know? Um, And just, yeah, how awesome it is. Yeah, we had the kind of same vision and I've kind of prayed with the same thoughts of uh, picturing the Blessed Virgin Mary or St. Joseph, uh, you know, holding the child and how cool that is to think about. It's so Um, cool. I remember saying that to Bob too, of like, now we literally have to go to heaven, like, because like we have to like our baby. Um, And like, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to let that be like the, there are many, that is the reason reason we want to go to heaven, you know, but um, now I have this sweetener of like, you know, picturing that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really incredible. And it's very difficult. I think that's not something to overlook, you know, and sometimes, you know, I, I told Emily and I were like, half joking yesterday. Cause I told you before this, and we put our first offer in a house yesterday. And, um, I was kind of joking. I was like, you know, we, we, we said a prayer cause Emily's really good about that. Um, she, she likes for me to pray in the difficult moments, but she has the idea to pray, which is good. <laughs> 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 but she wants yeah. me to lead usually. And I'm just like, man, I don't feel like talking to God right now, you know, sometimes. Um, but she's really good about encouraging me to do it. And she said, let's say a prayer. And I was, you know, afterwards I was just kind of like, you know, like I, I never thought about leaving the faith like throughout this past week, but like God and my, our relationship could use this house. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, he doesn't owe me one. He doesn't owe me anything. I owe him a lot, but I'm like, but it wouldn't hurt. You know, like <laughs> he could do us a solid, like this wouldn't hurt. Um, and just kind of thinking about that and, and the way that I kind of do it is you obviously have to be careful with this, but I kind of just viewed it as like, you know, like I was like, you know, Lord, like I'm, I'm kind of taking the week. And like still went to mass today, but like, I didn't go to daily mass this week. Um, I think we still prayed the rosary like once or twice, but it was definitely a light week for prayer. Um, it was a light week. I didn't do a lot of spiritual reading this past week. Um, and, and I don't think that's the right way to do it. Um, but I think that that's a lot better than just falling away, Yeah. you know? And I think like when you treat your relationship with God as like a practical, real thing, of, you know, I didn't start diving into sin. I didn't, you know, like start doing things that I knew were like morally wrong, but I was just like, I just, I don't, I don't really have much to say. Like I prayed my, like, um, I do the Angelus and things like that. Like, I just, I always find Mary easier in those difficult moments. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I really had this moment in mass today where I was just kind of reflecting on like, she too, you know, had a perfect son that she was really close with that she lost. Um, and you think about like, her like the thing that i told you before we started this was like the the thing i really struggle with when it comes to miscarriages is how often they seem to be with the couples um like you guys and like us who like we're striving very very ardently you know to like do things right you know um and it's like your reward for that seems to be like miscarriage and that can be really painful and difficult to comprehend but when i was in mass today and thinking about like mary was perfect and her reward was her only son was yeah. not just like lost in what for me, especially not like being the pregnant one was like a very impersonal relationship. Like she watched him be crucified. Totally. You know? And like, just to think about that and like she, and, and God, the father can also relate. Cause he had the same experience. Right? right. And so like, when you can think about it in those terms and we don't, and we won't understand until heaven, why this happened. Um, but it does make it, uh, you know, less hypocritical or, or, you know, like less, uh, outrageous or egregious act for God to, to, happen. Us to do something that he didn't go through himself. Exactly. And he exactly. understands, right. I, um, I have, I have one last thought on this. Another like kind of comforting thing for me to think about is like, 
would it have been more painful to have a child and watch them grow up and then watch them like walk away from the church and like throw away salvation? Or is it like reassuring in some way to like never have to worry about that for like my first baby? Right. I know that like they are in heaven or I, I believe with all my heart that they're in heaven. Um, and when you think about what parent wouldn't like go through immense pain to save their kid, right? Like we've just done that. Like we had to go through this grief. Right. But, um, yeah, exactly. But, but our babies are in heaven. And like that, if, if you, if, if I told you like to your born child, like your four-year-old or something, if I said, Nathan, like you need to run out into the highway and get hit by a truck right now. But like, it means that like this baby, like will, you know, be in heaven. Like you would, you would take off without like, right. thinking about it, you know? So like, um, a, a pain on our side, like that's like redeemed, like in a way that only God can redeem, um, is like a comforting thought as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate you joining me today. I appreciate your transparency. You've been incredibly vulnerable and just open um, with me always, but especially here today on the podcast, um, you know, since we're, we're podcasting and I'll just have a personal conversation. I really appreciate the way you made it feel so personal in being so open and about your conversion and the experience with Rosary. Um, and obviously, you know, that we're praying for you guys always. And um, knowing that, yeah, we really mourned with, we are still mourning. I, you know, neither of us are far out from our experiences, but, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's great to have you as uh, a close friend of, of mine and of my wife's and <laughs> of uh, now a friend of everybody that's in my life, since you met everybody at the wedding and our engagement party yeah. and everything, since you're very much the life of the party. Um, and so, yeah, super grateful for you, but just want to, yeah, express my gratitude and, and thanks for you coming on and joining me today. Thanks for having me. This is is a lot of fun. Absolutely. Serious, but fun. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you everybody for tuning in today. If you know anybody who may have experienced the pain of a miscarriage, we encourage you to share this with them or at least take the wisdom and personal experiences here that you learned about and how you can, uh, you know, help tend to their pain and minister to them during their time of mourning. And we also hope that this might've helped shed some light on conversions, on people who have had abortions, on a range of different topics And we just always pray that you'll have a soft heart and an open mind as you listen to the topics that we discuss and continue to discern the truth and how we can live out that truth with charity in our own lives. So as always, we want to encourage you to continue to fight the good fight and strive to be your best. Know of our prayers for you and please continue to pray for us. God bless.